This is the Old Radio Show's podcast. Spy Catcher. A series of true stories of the unceasing search for enemy spies in water. Based on the memoirs of Lieutenant Colonel Arreste Pinto of the Allied Counterintelligence Service. This week's story is entitled, Friend or Foe. The part of Colonel Pinto is played by Bernard Archer. In counterintelligence, an investigator is seldom aware of the potential spy until he's come to grips with him, until he's found the flaw in his story or the unexplained and suspect article among his belongings. In my long experience of interrogating escapers and suspects, there was one exception, an exception that provided the most fascinating and most difficult case I've ever tackled. A boatload of escapers had just arrived from Holland, Eleven young men, and they'd had a lucky escape. I was questioning one of them, Jan Valhoff. He was a well-built young man of twenty-five, and he impressed me as being honest and reliable. Valhoff, you say you know this man's name? Oh, uh, yes, sir. We all know it. What is it? His name is Polhoff, sir. Anton Polhoff. You were concerned in two escapes arranged by him, an unsuccessful one and this present one. Yes, sir. Mm, well, tell me about the unsuccessful one. All you can remember about it. How long had he been planning? Um, about a month, I think, sir. Uh, from about Christmas. There were 14 of us to get away. We were told that the boat would be leaving from the Hontbos of Zeverin. When? Well, the 1st of February, sir. Polhoff met us in Rotterdam and drove us there. In this German car? Uh, yes, sir. It was a, a big German car, an open car. He took us there in two lots and we got away that night. Had you any trouble in getting away? No, sir. It seemed quite easy. But we were only two hours out when we ran into bad weather, real bad weather, a nor'wester. And by morning, we were back on the shore. <laughs> it was a bit of a shamble, sir. What did you do? Nothing we could do but abandon the boat and make a run for it. It was daylight by then, and the German coast guards had spotted us coming in. There was a bit of a chase, and we were rounded up. And what happened then? We were taken into the town in question. By whom? The local Gestapo. Were they rough on you? Yes, sir, at first. One of our lads broke down and told them that Polhoff had arranged the escape. Who broke down? A lad called Van Geering, sir. He's only 16. Is he on the present escape with you? No, sir. And you're sure he named Polhoff? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, and he told them that Polhoff worked at the food office. Hmm. What happened then? Next day, we were all released. And what happened to Polhoff? Well, nothing, sir. I went to see him when I was free, and he... Didn't seem worried at all. He said he'd find another boat and arrange another escape. He asked if I'd like to try again. And you said yes. Did you still trust him? He did arrange another escape, sir. And here I am. And there are ten others with me. But if I told you that there was another escape of his that went wrong and the Germans took no action, would you still trust him? Yes, sir. Yes, I think I would. I... Don't like him, but I trust him. He's a strange lad. Tell me about him. He was at university when the war began. He's very clever. They say he passed all his law examinations when he was only 17. What age is he now? About 21. This job he has at the food office. Do you know what it is? He's second in charge of food distribution for the whole of Rotterdam. Oh, that's an appointment under the Germans, isn't it? Uh, yes. Uh, that's why he has this German car. 
It's an official car for his job. And he uses it for these escapes? He uses it openly? Yes, sir. You know him well? No, sir, not really. After that first try, when we were caught and then waiting for this chance, I got to know him a bit. And you don't like him? No, sir. Do any of the others like him? No, sir. Why don't you like him? I don't know, sir. No, I suppose I should like him after what he's done for me, but... It's his way of doing things, the way he treats us. You must do exactly what he tells you. Everybody has to. And then he insisted on driving us about in this German car. Or we thought it was a bit risky. But you mustn't question him. Hmm. Can you tell me anything else about him? Um, not very much, sir. Uh, but he'll be coming over himself on the next... Did he tell you this? Yes, sir. He was going to come this time, but he changed his mind. He said he'd come on the next... Thank you, Valhorn. I think that'll be all. Now, you'll remain in detention until your friend. You understand? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. This way. Oh, send in Captain Vegas, please. Come in, Captain. Escape boat from Holland. How many of the escapers have you seen? Some of them, sir. They're being interpreted statements here. Bitter, Kirkdreeberg, and Van Duren. Oh, I'll take them. I want to see all the statements that have been taken, and I want to see all the 11 men. Well, the other 10. I've just seen Valhorn. And I want you to keep your eyes open for the arrival, it may be quite soon, of a young man named Anton Poelhoff. Yes, sir. He arranged this escape. Yes, he's arranged several escapes in the past two years. Yes, uh, here's his file. Let's see. Through 1942, 1943, he's sent us six escape boats. Those make seven. And an unsuccessful one makes eight. And he sent us eight escape boats in two years. Two were unsuccessful. Six got through. In all, he sent us 87 people. That must be a record for one man. He works on his own, doesn't he? Yes. Now, where's the statement of the first unsuccessful one? Hmm. It's very likely he'll arrive under his own name, but we have several descriptions of him. He's age 21, height 5 foot 6, slim, black hair. I expect he'll arrive within the next month. I want him brought here immediately. Right, sir. Well, my guess had been right. It was in May, and just three weeks before D-Day, when I heard that Anton Polhoff had arrived in England. I have the papers now, sir. There seems to have been some delay. Polhoff arrived in England a week ago. His boat was picked up by a naval patrol last Thursday, and they've been screened by British intelligence. Here's the report. No, oh, thank you, there were eight in the party. Yes, sir. Hmm. He seems to have made a good impression. Yes, sir. Where is he? We have him outside, sir. All oh, right, show him in. Come in. Thank you, Captain. Are you Anton Polhoff? Yes, sir. Please sit down. Thank you. 
I see you've been screened by British intelligence, and you seem to have made a good impression. But I want to be quite frank with you, and tell you that the stories I have heard about you have not made a good impression on me. Hmm? Why, sir? Well, uh, I've been awaiting your arrival, Pohoff, because there are several things I've heard about you that I find difficult to understand. Now, I propose to ask you some questions, and I want you to give me your answers. Yes, sir. Well, the first one. You're a very young man. In German eyes, you're not even one of their precious areas. Why have the Germans favoured you and promoted you to a very high position in Holland, in charge of all food distribution in Rotterdam? And why do the Germans give you an official car to run around in? I can answer that, sir. In the first place, I work very hard. I also have a gift for administration. After the bombing of Rotterdam, the whole distribution system was in a mess. I think I can say without boasting, sir, that I helped to put it straight for the good of the Dutch people. And if one must work under the Germans, one should try for a position of authority. But, but you are wrong, sir, if you think the Germans promoted me. No, sir. It was my chief, Mr. Van Gelder, the head of the food office. He knew I was organizing, and he promoted me so that I should have the authority and the freedom to carry on my work. Very well. Let's accept that for the moment. Now, the second question. You helped 87 men to escape. If a man saves my life, I have every reason to be grateful to him. Yet the men whose lives you saved tell me they dislike you, that they were doubtful of your motives in helping them, suspicious of the way you planned your escapes. Did they tell you this? Yes. Then I should have thought, sir, that you could have given me the answer easily enough. Student of human nature. Isn't it natural for people to be sensitive about those who help them? Besides, I know that my manner is aloof towards people of my own age. I just can't help it. They think I'm being superior. It's only because I look younger than my age, and I have authority. Some people are very sensitive about that, especially when the danger is over. One of the reasons why they disliked you was the way you went about your escape work. Well, it was dangerous enough, by all accounts. But why did you insist on parading the escapers around the city, amongst the Germans, in an open car for everyone to see? An official German car. Was that really such a risk, sir? I think it would have been more dangerous to have been secretive about it. Besides, I had the use of the car. I had the papers to prove it. The Germans never questioned it. They never thought of looking in one of their own official cars. And it was an open car. You couldn't hide anything in it. And besides, sir, it made the Germans seem so stupid when we drove past. Oh, well. Let's say it gave you a feeling of having your own back. Now let's deal with the purpose of the escapes you were planning. You sent us 87 men, all of them loyal young Dutchmen. Since you were able, as you're telling me, to arrange successful escapes with such impunity, since you were in such a favoured position for planning them, why didn't you ever send us some really important people? Such as, sir? Well, you must have known that there were highly experienced and senior officers waiting to escape, that there were resistance leaders wanting to come here for briefings, also, some of our leading politicians who could have been of service to our free government here in London. I don't agree with you, sir, that politicians are important. They talk a lot and they're always having intrigues. Do you think a politician is really important in exile? I am young, sir, and I think that young people are important. I sent you university students and I sent you trained airmen from a disbanded air force. Yes, I know you did. And I appreciate your feelings for your own kind. But you were running an escape route. 
Why didn't you send us some of the people for whom the Germans were searching? Right, sir? If I had got in touch with the politicians you mentioned, or the resistance leaders, would they have taken orders from me? Would they have done as I told them? Could I possibly have driven them in my car? No, sir. My way worked for two years because I chose the people I knew, young people, who would do what I told them. And, of course, some of them didn't like me because I insisted on being in command. Maybe it was amateurish, sir, but it was successful. Very well. Now answer this one. One of your escape boats left the Hansbosser Seewering on the north coast of Holland. You remember? Yes, sir. At the end of February. Yes, it struck bad weather, and in the morning, in daylight, it was driven ashore and the escapers were arrested. They were questioned by the Gestapo, and one of them gave your name as the organizer. Not only did he give the Gestapo your name, but also your official position at the food office. The Gestapo later released the men. Did the Gestapo ever call on you? No, sir. Can you tell me why? No, sir, I can't. Your guess would be as good as mine. Well, my guess is this, that the German sentries thought they'd captured some genuine escapers, resistance people, and so did the local Gestapo. They thought that until your name was mentioned and checked. Then they discovered it was one of the escapes that the German security police had agreed to turn a blind eye to. So they released the men and didn't trouble you. That would certainly be a good theory, sir, if I happen to be friendly with the Germans. But I am not, and I never have been. Very well, let's deal with your own escape. You left Holland last Wednesday night in a small boat. Yes. As you left, you were challenged by a German guard ship lying at the mouth of the river. Yes. It called on you to heave to for inspection, but you ignored the signal. Yes. It then fired a warning shot across your bow, but you still sailed off. Yes. Do you agree that by all the rules of war, it should then have A, sunk you for ignoring the order, or B, overhauled you and captured you. Yes. What did it do? Nothing. We just sailed on and let us go. Why? I don't know. Coincidence? Luck? Slack? Why, I just don't know. Not all Germans are as efficient as they're made of, sir. But I know what you're thinking. That this was a put-up job, and the Germans had been told to let us go. You think I'm a German agent? Well, are you surprised that I should think so? No, sir. But on reflection, yes, sir. Will you let me say this? It may sound like boasting, but you force me to say it. I know I am much more intelligent than many of the people around me. And I have my own way of doing things. My ways have been successful, but they have not been liked by older people or by people who have been trained in these things. I can't help being what I am. But I think that that is why you are suspicious of me. Because, like the others, you don't like me. I didn't say I disliked you. I said that I found many of the facts about you inexplicable. And I'm asking for your answers. There is another question. In your statement, you say that you came here to be trained by us and returned to occupy Holland. Yes. That is what I want to talk about. Why do you wish to go back? To fight against the Germans. Even to me, sir, it is clear that the Second Front cannot be far away. And how do you propose that we return you to Holland? I understand you drop agents by parachute. Hmm. It was my plan, sir, to be dropped by night and to work undercover. I already have a house to go to and a group of young men who will hide me. I could then carry out the instructions you gave me and direct the activities of the group. I am a good organizer, sir, and a good planner. I learn quickly. Whatever you happen to be, Polhoff, you won't be sent back to Holland. I'll see to that. 
You are not going back. I see, sir. This was one of the most difficult cases I had tackled. D-Day was coming nearer. I had doubts, but no proof. Paul Hoff had answered every question I'd set for him. When I made my report to the Minister of Justice, I made this clear. I appended the questions and the answers. I recommended that Polhoff, who was very intelligent and evidently a good organiser, should be given some job in the government service, but that he should not be given access to secret papers, and he must not be allowed out of England until the war was over. My recommendation was accepted, and a ban was placed on his movement. For almost a year, I forgot about Anton Polhoff. Then, after D-Day, I moved to the continent, and in April 1945, my headquarters were in the Dutch town of Breda. The Germans were retreating eastward, and at Enschede, on the edge of the battle, we discovered a German counterintelligence headquarters in which the records were still intact. Captain Lagos and I immediately began sorting through them to see if there was anything of importance. Colonel? Hmm? What is it? I found your name on the Gestapo files. Colonel Oresti Pinto, head of the technical side, Dutch Security Forces. Huh. And they've got your code name, too. Quite a lot about you. What file is that? Statement and full confession of the agent Anton Kohlhoff. Code name Bobby, made on March the 22nd at Old Room. Let me see it. You said he wasn't to be allowed back in Holland, sir. I did. What happened, sir? What went wrong? Somebody slipped up. According to this, Polhoff was enlisted into the American forces after we left. Of all things, enlisted into the OSS. Trained by them and dropped by parachute in Holland. Oh, it didn't take him long to sing. No, he sung to some purpose. The full details of the organization of the American OSS, their training methods, code names, duties of all the senior officers he met, exact instructions given him for his mission in Holland, organization of Dutch security forces, details of his interrogation by me, several closely packed pages of top secret information. He said he learned quickly. Also claims, correctly, to be the first Dutch citizen to be commissioned into the OSS. Huh. That's quite an achievement for our little friend. Yes. And listen to this. This information, given freely and without recourse to pressure... They mean torture, sir. I don't care what they mean, it was given freely. And it's accurate. All of it. After all that, sir, where do you think you'll be? In Germany? I don't know. Wherever he is, I want to meet him again. Have his description sent to every screening camp in Holland. Right, sir. A month later, in May, the whole of northern Holland was in Allied hands. And I learned that in one of the prison cages was the young man, Anton Polhoff. I lost no time in seeking him out. Colonel Pinto. Good morning, Major. We have Polhoff waiting for you. 
He's in this room. Oh, thank you. And mount a guard on the door, please. Yes, sir. Well, Pearl Huff? Yes, sir. Sit down. Last time we met, you had some very ready answers to my questions. This time, I don't think you'll find it quite so easy. No, sir. No. When we last met, when you just come from Holland, I placed an embargo on your movement, an official restriction. You knew that? Yes, sir. When you were approached by the Americans, the OSS, why didn't you inform our security of that fact? The OSS instructed me not to inform them, sir, nor to inform the British. I learned that OSS works on its own, sir. So it seems. Did you inform the OSS of the restriction? No, sir. Why not? I knew you were wrong, sir, and I wanted to be in the war. You knew I was wrong. Do you know what this is? No, sir. Perhaps now you will change your tune. This is a copy of the full statement you made to the Germans at Ulrum. Yes, sir. The information given freely and without recourse to pressure. Yes, sir. When did your friends of the OSS return you to Holland? On the night of November the 10th, sir. I was dropped by parachute in the province of Groningen. Your mission? To form an espionage group and to send to OSS headquarters news of German formations and movements and the effect of American daylight bombing of the area. I told you I had friends in the north of Holland and I told you I had a house to go to and that I wanted... You managed to get back to Holland in November, Polhoff. And within three months, you're sitting with the Germans at a room, giving them this information. Not the local information they would have expected from a captured officer, but all the information about the Americans and the British and our own forces that you were able to learn in England. Well, Polhoff? Or should I call you by your code name, Bobby? You should call me Captain Polhoff, sir. I'm a captain in the OSS. For how long? To return to your main question, sir... May I answer it by asking two of my own? Oh, the war's almost over. I've all the time in the world for you. Ask. I know that I gave the Germans a great deal of information, and all of it accurate information. But you know that it would have been foolish of me in the circumstances... What circumstances? I had been betrayed, sir, and captured by the Germans. Go on. I was saying that you know it would have been foolish of me in the circumstances to have told them lies. They can check. But can you point out any information in that document that was of use to them? There's a great deal of information. The Germans were in retreat, sir. What real use was it to them to know what happened in London months before, or where your headquarters were? You were no longer there. That's hard to the point. You reminded me that you're now an officer. You give the enemy your name, rank, and number, nothing else. Sir, I was behind the enemy lines, and my mission was to form and run a spy group. Before I left London, I was given the names and addresses of resistance contacts. If I had been stupid enough to say nothing, the Germans would have tortured me for those names. You know that. Look through my statement. Did I betray any one of my people? Any single one? Yet I know all their names. I can take you to them now. Everyone is still alive. When I was betrayed, they went to ground. And they are still alive. Is that being a traitor? I pretended to the Germans that I was important that I knew secrets, that I was working on my own. Each day I gave them some information. They knew most of it. They checked it and found that I was telling the truth. They took their time with me. I paid them for ten days. By then my group was safe. What would you have done? 
If I was a traitor or double agent, wouldn't I have betrayed my group? Did I? I know I'm not a professional soldier or well-trained like you. I can only do it the way I know. But I have done my best. And I have never let my friends down. Yes, I believe your story, Pearl Hart. But you've been unorthodox. And in war, the unorthodox is suspect. Well, it's my job to be suspicious. This time, I'm satisfied. I'm sorry I've caused you so much trouble. But it's nothing to the trouble you've caused me. I'll see that you're released from this camp. I'd like you to come to my headquarters at Breda. Thank you, sir. You know, Polhoff, in your kind of war, there are no medals. And very little thanks. Anton Polhoff had proved that he was a friend. He'd been a first-class agent. Untrained, he'd worked by instinct, and somehow his instinct had been right. He'd fought a lonely war and received no recognition. I tried later to put that right. You've been listening to Spycatcher, with Bernard Archard as Colonel Areste Pinto. The script was written by Robert Barr and the program produced for the BBC by Charles Maxwell.